0: Good to see everybody online. Hope you guys are doing great. Um, So, just over the past couple of months, I have personally seen two or three things on social media um, accusing Peter of being a racist. And the reason for that is the verse I'm reading this morning. (laughs) You know, cancel Peter. That's That's the idea, and I'm saying, no, we can't cancel Peter, and there's reasons why. It's not because Peter was a racist, it's because Peter was not, and you're just misunderstanding the text. So, the text I'm teaching this morning is one of a handful that have been used by many white preachers throughout American history to support slavery, then Jim Crow, and all manner of other things, okay? And so we need to acknowledge that going into it, before I even read the verse, Okay? that there are those that have used this very verse the wrong way to support some really demonic, evil ideas. Okay, And no doubt, in some circles right now, this text is still being twisted in an attempt to put evil words in the mouth of our holy and merciful God. That is an abomination, to put evil things into the mouth of God that he did not say. It's a horrible thing to do. And that is not what I'm going to do this morning, all right? Um, I wish we were inside where we could be closer and I could see your faces. And I wish me and you guys online could be together to do this. It would be much easier for me um, because there'd be no distractions. And I would know what you're thinking um, and how what I'm saying is coming across. but I'm just going to trust God, okay? So what I'm going to kind of highlight a couple of things that make this text difficult in its application before we read it so you can understand why it's hard, okay? One is this idea, I'm giving you a word, a big word today, all right? Anachronism. I would make you say it after me, but this is not elementary school, all right? Anachronism, what is that? It's a chronological misplacing of person, events, objects, or customs in regard to each other. I'll give you a great example. Imagine a movie being filmed and set in the 1800s, all right? And and they're out like in a field like this filming this period movie set in the 1800s and in the background in the sky a 747 flies through the frame. That is an anachronism. That's why they have to shoot it over again or remove it digitally, right? Because 747s didn't exist in the 1800s, Okay. It's like you know saying, "Why didn't they just? Why did it take them so long to travel from this distance to that distance in the 1800s? Why didn't they just take a car?" Right? That's the same idea, right? That's an anachronism. We do this to the Bible constantly, and that's one of the things that's being done in this text when people interpret the wrong way. We do it constantly. We do it when we read our culture and our time into the time of the text and come away with the wrong interpretation. As a result, that's what we would call an anachronistic interpretation, okay? Also, there are two main things to understand that are different between America in 2020 and ancient Greece. Obviously, there are more than two things that are different, but there are two important ones for this text, all right? Number one. By the way, the notes are in, the link, in a link in the description of the video but also in your email if you want to follow along. So the first thing that's different between us and them is slavery in ancient Greece was far more complex than modern American slavery. Let me give you a couple of ways that's true. Um, There's not a lot written about slavery in Greece at the time, but there's a few things that we know their, their culture and economy was very dependent on this. It was a kind of caste system. Um, where the slaves were the bottom of the social ladder, okay? Often with varying levels of rights, depending on what sort of slave you were, the slaves were not drawn from any particular race, but were largely pulled from people that had been conquered by the Greeks or were paying for a crime or were simply born into it. Some also ended up there just because of abject poverty. Not all slaves were considered to be personal property, but many, probably most, were. Most slaves were treated horribly by the entire culture of Greece. And you can read about that in some really old documents. It probably has more in common with the social caste systems we see in places like in India than it does with racial slavery we have seen in our own country. Now, I say this not to say that Greek slavery was not so bad. Okay, it was terrible. It was horrible. It was evil. I'm going on record, all right? It was evil and wicked. But just simply knowing that it was different will help you ask the right questions when you interpret it into your own life, okay? Super important. Second thing, and probably the more important thing, is Emperor Nero ruled at this time. Nero was probably the most evil, the most wicked emperor the world had seen or will ever see. This was not a democratic republic. This was not like what we're living in right now in America, where we have some freedoms. The fact that we're doing what we're doing right now was not possible there. This was not even a theocracy, by the way, like in Jerusalem. Peter was living in Rome, writing to mostly Greek natives living in and around Greece. And we live in a nation in a time where we are a part of shaping the law and culture in which we live. We have the power to change who leads us to influence our governance and to protest openly in order to see change. We can shape our culture and we can shape our laws and we can shape our government. They did not have that freedom. It's hard for me and I think it's hard for all of us to even imagine what it's like to grow up in that kind of a world, where you have no power whatsoever to change things. And Nero, on top of that, simply killed people that disagreed with him. He was incredibly violent. There was no voting, no accountability, no right to free speech, no right to assemble, no right to protest, did not even have the right to live under Nero's rule. That was his right to decide if he lived or died. There were no protest marches, open letters to the governor or open letters to the emperor, no sit ins, Facebook profile pictures to put ribbons on, no blog art articles to post or podcasts to record. That is not how this worked, okay? So these two things mean that Peter is simply not answering the questions we're asking, right? Because he's living in a totally different world. The idea of abolishing slavery under Nero's rule was an impossible dream, okay? So living as an exile in America and anywhere, honestly, is complex, right? That's what you're going to find with Peter and Paul's, a lot of Paul's writings about how to live in a foreign pagan culture. What you're going to find are principles. But the application of those principles to specific situations is really hard. It just is, okay? It's not easy living under Christian values in a world that does not believe and follow your same values. It is complicated. So the application is complex, and we should expect that going in, okay? All right, and we'll see how this plays out, what I just told you as we read this. So let's read the first half of this section. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So the first thing I want to point out here is the word translated here in verse 18 as servants is a little weak. Okay, Um, Slave is probably a more accurate translation of that word. I understand why they translated it as servant, because they're trying to indicate that there is some difference, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a weaker, softened word, and I don't think it's the right one, all right? I'm not the only one. I'm not doing my own translation of the Bible when I say that, all Right? He's talking about slaves when he says servants, Okay? While it isn't wrong, I don't think I would say it's wrong to say that this is about the employee-employer relationships. We need to be careful not to whitewash the text. and I'll get more into the application in just a minute and show you what I mean by that. So these, imagine for a minute, Peter's world and the church world at the time. Greek slaves have gotten saved. They have heard the gospel and they are coming to church. They're coming to church with all the other Greek Christians mixed in with some Jewish Christians that have been scattered because of persecution. And there's this new kind of question in among that community, that level of society about how do we act? How do we live? What does it mean to live like Jesus when I'm trapped in this situation? When I'm trapped as a slave and I have no way out, no escape, no recourse. What do I do? How do I act? How do I live? It's a hard question, isn't it? They are trapped in an unjust situation for which there is no escape. So Peter tells them to do a radical thing. He says, act like Jesus. He tells them to put themselves in subjection to their master, whether the master is good or if, whether the master is unjust. By their own power of choice, they choose to be subject to their master, not as a victim, but as a follower of Christ, emulating him. And that's the offensive part. Because what he doesn't say is the American thing, which is rebel, fight for your rights. He tells them to submit to him, and that's a tough pill to swallow. Peter says that when you suffer injustice, being mindful of God as your king, then God considers it to be a gracious thing. From God's perspective, he sees that humility and that desire to be like Jesus, and he considers it a gracious thing. Notice that Peter does call it an injustice. He says it is unjust treatment, which was a radical thing for him to say. That's what he says. God doesn't say it's no big deal. God doesn't just give injustice a pass. God doesn't just overlook it. God doesn't minimize it. God doesn't call injustice, justice. He calls injustice, injustice. He calls it what it is. God doesn't ever turn a blind eye. We need to understand that, okay? Instead, God says, I see your humble heart as you suffer as unto me, and I will receive that suffering as worship to me. So how can this be true? How is it that God could ask such a hard thing? Because that's what he's doing. He's asking a very hard thing. He's saying, I'm asking you to suffer with humility as Jesus suffered at the hands of unjust rulers. How is it that God could ask him to do that? Let's read the next part. She explains it, verse 21 through 25. It says, "For to this you have been called." What a calling that is. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. So, Peter is only asking them and us to respond to unjust treatment in the exact same way Jesus did. So, in chapter 4, four verse 13, which we'll get led to later, Peter starts talking about suffering again and it clarifies some of this. If you go read that verse, Peter says more clearly there that when we suffer, we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. So, you're not just being like him. In some, Like he's a model for your behavior, you are actually, in some mysterious supernatural way, you are actually participating in his suffering on the cross when you suffer as unto him. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, it really is. That turns suffering from something where you are a victim into an act of, of deep worship and identification with Christ that you cannot do any other way. In a sense, we could even say that the entire goal of this life is to increasingly identify ourselves with Christ, to be more and more like Him and identified with Him, to grow in that ourselves and to be transformed ultimately to be exactly like Him in His perfect righteousness And suffering, Peter is saying, is one of the primary ways that we do that. If you look at how all the 12 disciples lived and died, you see this exemplified in everything that they did. They embraced suffering almost like they were glad to have it. It's it's all because they saw Jesus suffer the way he suffered. And they wanted to identify with him in that way. So I'm not saying we should ask for suffering. I'm not saying we should ask God to tr- for us to be put and trapped in some unjust, terrible situation like these Greek slaves were. However, when it comes to you, Peter is saying, look at it from a God's perspective. And from God's perspective, he calls it a gracious thing because you are participating in the sufferings of the Son. When you do that, Jesus himself said, If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do what? Take up your cross. This is what it looks like to do that. Verse 23 gets very specific. It says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's a very important verse in this section. So he says, don't revile, meaning don't accuse angrily. I don't know about you, but I have often accused angrily when I've been mistreated. He says, don't do that because Jesus didn't do it. He says, don't threaten, which is just promising vengeance. I'm going to get you back. I will get my revenge. That's a threat. Instead, number three, he says, trust God to do justice in his time. So Peter is not saying, this is also important for those who want to cancel Peter, right? Peter is not saying that if not being a slave is an option, that they must remain a slave. In fact, earlier Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that if there's a way to avoid slavery, you should do it. Slavery is a bad thing. You should avoid it at all costs. Don't be one if you have a choice. But Peter's not writing to people that have a choice. Nor is Peter saying that slavery is good or even okay. He clearly calls it an injustice. He is simply saying that when suffering inescapably comes upon us, we must endure it in the same way that Jesus did. And if we do that, God receives it essentially as worship unto himself. So let's talk about some applications and then get you out of here. I know it's hot. Welcome to Third World Church Awareness Month. Where it's hot, but not as hot as Africa. And you get to go home to air conditioning, right? We've got to keep some perspective, amen? And I say this standing in the shade, so, you know, God bless those of you who aren't. So how do we apply this correctly, okay? This is not in any shape, way, or form an endorsement of slavery in Greece or now or ever, okay? Instead, I think it's, number one, it's interesting that for those of us that have not suffered much injustice in this world, we have a hard time finding a personal application of the Scripture, I have struggled with this one for years, and I have preached it myself as instructions to employees who have terrible bosses. And that's not a wrong application. I'm going, to get, I'm going to go there in just a minute. But it's interesting to me that that's the worst injustice I can personally think of in my personal life. How blessed am I that that's true of me? I have had an evil boss, truly terrible evil boss before. But it's a tremendous blessing that a bad boss is how I is the only way I can relate to this text personally. first of all, if that's you, like me, just thank God for a second, that you have never been trapped as a slave or in an injustice that you cannot escape that was worse than just having a boss who didn't recognize your awesomeness. It's a tremendous blessing. But not everyone in this country can say the same thing. We live in a country where no one should be trapped in this kind of situation, though some still are. This is one of the foundational ideas of America. It's July 4th. One of the foundational ideas was that no one should be trapped in an unjust situation that they can't get out of. Yet in many ways, we have betrayed that idea over and over again throughout our history. So before you place yourself in the victim category, consider that God may have placed you in a position to defend, free, and encourage others who may be trapped at the bottom of our culture. That's what Josh started talking about this morning and that was not coordinated. I I almost used that verse in my sermon but I knew I wouldn't have time so Josh gave me a little extra time and still got the point across. Often we're too quick to put ourselves in the text in the wrong place. So maybe part of what God's called you to do is to be the unseen person that was missing in This text, it did not exist in Greece at the time, the people who have the power to actually lift up those who were on the bottom, which is who these people are. They're the very bottom strata of the culture. Number three, because we do not have an emperor, if you are trapped in an unjust form of slavery or some type of what may feel like slavery, you can simultaneously maintain a Christ-like attitude in your suffering and work to get out from under that slavery because you live in a country where that's possible. You might need some help and support. You might want to ask for help and support in order to do that. Next week, we'll talk about marriage in a similar way, and that's, a, that's an obvious application here, and Peter goes there in the next section. It's like a woman who is trapped in a marriage that's unjust and ungodly. What is she to do? Okay, so having said all of that, right, it's not whitewashing to acknowledge that we all know on some level what being treated unjustly feels like. Everybody in this field and every person watching online, you know what it feels like, To do the right thing and still be hurt for it. To not be appreciated or to be held down in some way. To be gossiped about or held back. Or punished for something you didn't do. To not be given the benefit of the doubt. Everybody can at least relate to that idea. And how we respond in those moments says a tremendous amount about how Christ-like we really are. It's easy to act like Jesus when things aren't hard, when all the conditions are right. But when you're in a job or in a marriage or in some other situation and you're doing the best you can to work as hard as you can to be the, to be as godly and right and good at your job and competent as you can, and yet still the person who has power over you hates you and is against you, how you act in that moment says volumes about how like Jesus you actually are. And it's in those moments when we respond like Jesus did. It's interesting if you go back and read those, that narrative when Jesus was brought before Pilate and accused, accused by the crowds, accused by the authorities, he was silent until they asked him, Are you the Messiah? And he said, Yes. That's the only thing he testified to was that he was the Messiah and still is. And that is what we testify to when we are treated unjustly, when we suffer, is our testimony is not in defense of ourselves or our awesomeness or even our right. defend ourselves. Our testimony is to the glory and the Messiahship of Jesus. We point to him. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are trapped in some situation that God is the God of justice, and he sees what you're going through, he knows what you're experiencing, And he is honored by your humility. He's honored by it. And he receives it as grace and worship. Peter even says it is credited to you. Isn't that interesting? The idea that you receive some kind of credits from God. So that means the more you suffer unjustly and do it as unto the Lord, the more credits you have. Some of you have way more credits than I have. There's going to come a day where the, those scales are balanced in the way that we will all see and be in awe. And that's how God turns suffering and injustice into something that is eternally worthy and glorious up to him. I often say none of us will look back in that day when we see him again. None of us will look back on our history, no matter how difficult and terrible it may have been at the time. None of us will look at it and say, God didn't do me right. We will all look at it and say, every minute was for the glory of God, and he squeezed every bit of glory out of it, and he made everything right in the end, and he has loved me well, and he has been with me well all the way from start to finish, from birth to tomb. And this is the foundation on which Peter is standing when he talks to these people who are suffering. So I'd like to pray for all of us that we would be aware of those who are suffering around us but also, and be uh, a source of comfort and strength and freedom to them, but also for those of us who are suffering, that God would give us a Christ-like heart that we do not waste our suffering on ourselves, but it would be used to glorify God. So let's pray. God, I pray right now for everyone here this morning, everyone online, everyone that may watch this later. God, first, for those of us who may have actually a hard time identifying and applying this because we have not suffered this kind of injustice before. God, would you help us Help us to be people who are rescuers, people who um, give strength and encouragement and life to others. God, that as the, as the children's Sunday school song says, this light of ours, this light of mine would shine. God, I pray that we would shine a light into our world. And God, that we would not be oppressors, but instead we would relieve oppression of those around us. God, you would use us for that. God, I also pray for those who are uh, in in some sort of trapped in an unjust situation, whether it's a, a job or a marriage or some other form of oppression. God, that you would just send your spirit, your Holy Spirit to them that would enable them to turn their suffering into worship. And God, that you would come and rescue them from that situation right now. God, for those trapped in jobs where they're not paid well and they have no recourse, God, I pray that you rescue them with a better job and a way out. God, I pray for our nation that you would bring order in the chaos. God, that instead of trying to cancel Peter, God, that we would see what he's actually saying is beautiful and gracious and from God, that we would learn to act and live like Jesus did. God, I pray you'd help us. God, we need your help. Help us to know how to live as exiles in a foreign place. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. We'll See you next time.